migrant caravan in over a year headed to open U.S. border. 15,000 illegal migrants in Christmas caravan, and it's growing every day. The largest migrant caravan in over a year is on its way to the open border of the southern United States. The Christmas caravan left on December 25th from southern Mexico and is led by activist Luis Garcia Villagran. And again, the most frustrating part of all of it is how easy it would be to fix, how simple it would be to prevent all of this from happening. And yet the longer it goes on with every day that our border is open, the ultimate project work we have ahead of us is made that much more difficult, be that much more dangerous. Now, these people want you to think that it's somehow anti-American and a imposition of violence, simply put up a wall or you know, some sort of barbed wire fence. This is unacceptable to them, can't happen, won't happen. They won't do it. They won't deploy that type of violence. Really what they're just setting us up for is a much more significant level of violence in the future as we have to undo what they're doing right now. Just don't for a second think that just because they've flooded the country with tens of millions of people that that means we have to accept it and that like with every month that another million come in, we should have to go, well, shoot, they got away with that million. Nothing we can do about that. Uh, no, there's a lot we can do about that. There is, in fact, a political solution to this because this is a political problem. It's not overwhelming. It's not something we can't handle. It's not something that we just can't do anything about. It's something that our leadership is doing on purpose, and if we had different leadership, they could do something else. And they were doing something else, like when Trump was in office. And just to illustrate how ridiculous all of this is, end wokeness on Twitter, says the annual cost of accommodating the millions of illegals in this country, and the annual cost is nearly half a trillion dollars, 451 billion dollars a year 451 billion dollars a year to care for process the illegal migrants in this country cost of the border wall would have been about 15 billion we couldn't even get 5 billion when trump was in office and we controlled the congress and the senate couldn't even get 5 billion it was too expensive it's too much money so instead we're spending $451 billion a year to take care of and house and provide the transportation for, provide the legal services for, and provide the courtroom facilities for foreigners, people that are not American, contributed absolutely nothing to this country by definition, and yet are costing us half a trillion dollars a year while we simultaneously spend probably about that much defending the borders of Israel and Ukraine, amongst others. Echo Chamber on Twitter says this, the great replacement is accelerating. 15% of the U.S. population is foreign-born and is growing three times faster than when Trump was in office. In October 2023, the foreign-born share was the highest in history at 49.5 million and 15% of the U.S. population, immigrants now at a record. 
Since President Biden took office in January 2021, the foreign-born population has grown by 4.5 million, larger than the individual populations of 25 U.S. states. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. Welcome to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning, filling in for the great Harrison Smith. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you. I hope you had a Merry Christmas, and I hope you are excited for an awesome New Year's celebration this weekend. We are, going to cut, we are going to cut to break in about 20 seconds or so, so I just want to take this opportunity to plug our new game-changing New Year's specials from InfoWars, which are here. Get up to 60% off, plus free shipping and double Patriot points. The new year is upon us. It's time to reevaluate your approach to your supplement routine with these InfoWars essentials. Check it out at InfoWarsStore.com and stick with us, folks, for more news on the other side. It's Friday, December 29th, the year of our Lord, 2023. And you're listening to The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. All right, welcome to The American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We are going to be rebroadcasting this episode on Monday as that is New Year's Day. But I will be with you again on Tuesday as well. So you're going to have two days of me. Three, really, if you count the rebroadcast. I'm very much looking forward to being with you this morning. So much news to cover. Obviously, the big story is this news that Maine has decided to remove Donald Trump from the primary ballot for 2024. And it was basically seemingly a unilateral decision by the Secretary of State. I do want to run clip number five here in a second just to give some context. But they're just deciding that Trump is guilty. There's been no conviction. There's no been no charges of insurrection. Of course, there's been allegations and accusations, but there's been no conviction. And they're just deciding based on whatever evidence they believe is evidence, whatever facts they perceived on the internet or via his tweets or communications, that he is guilty of violating the 14th Amendment. And under the 14th Amendment, they are allowed, therefore, then to remove him from the ballot. They are just making the decision without any sort of trial that he is ineligible for office for ballot access. This all despite the fact that for the last several years, they've been saying how much of a threat to democracy Donald Trump is, how much of a threat to democracy right-wing extremism is, and how MAGA Republicans are the greatest threat to democracy. They're not even giving the people the option to vote for the leading candidate in the election. So we know that their claims that they're all pro-democracy have just really been a lie. They haven't been true whatsoever. It's totally hypocritical. They're using every mechanism at their disposal, every legal mechanism to remove Donald Trump from every ballot possible, just like the Democrats did in 1860 against Abraham Lincoln when he was removed from 10 states because they don't want the voters to actually have a choice. Now, if they thought that the Democrats could win or if they thought Joe Biden could actually win legitimately, then they wouldn't have to fight to remove Trump from the ballot. And actually, there is an optimistic standpoint to this. There is, there is some light at the end of the tunnel for this. It means that they know or they believe that they can't cheat enough to win if he's on the ballot. I mean, if the cheating was enough, they wouldn't have to remove him from the ballot and embarrass themselves and be obviously hypocritical about their values and principles and support and advocacy for democracy. Now it's abundantly clear that they're lying about that. So the fact is they're removing him from the ballot because... They know there's actually a path to victory for him. There's no other incentive or reason for them to go through this hassle 
other than to ensure victory in 2024. So for those of you who for the last couple of years since this illegitimate election in 2020 have been claiming that voting is useless and a waste of time and we don't need to be going out and voting and we should, it doesn't make any difference what we do or what we say or how we vote because it's all rigged and it's all set up, then why is it that they're removing him from the ballot? I mean, it seems to me that they're actually attempting to rig this election, absolutely. But if it was rigged in terms of counting ballots, in terms of how the actual election day process went, how the mail-in ballots went, if it was 100% rigged, guaranteed rigged, now I know that they're cheating, but if it was absolutely rigged, then they wouldn't have to go through this measure. And so I'm actually encouraged that they're doing this because A, they're showing the world who they really are. They're showing the Democrats who they really are, and they're getting backlash from both Democrats and Republicans. And B, it proves that there is some legitimacy to our election process. I'm not saying it's fully legitimate. I'm not saying it's fully fair. I believe that we have to win by greater than 50% in order to actually win because of the cheating that the left is notorious for, famous for, basically ever since the 60s, starting in Cook County or Detroit, all the way up to now, we've been cheating. But the fact that they need him off the ballot, the fact that they're trying this in multiple states at the same time proves that if he's on the ballot, they know there's a way that they can lose, which means they don't have it in the bag. They don't have the rigging, the cheating in the bag. Let's go ahead and see what she had to say here in clip five. This is the main secretary of state talking about removing Donald Trump from the primary ballot. It's a very detailed decision. Uh, we lay out uh, why under Maine law, the Secretary of State has the authority, indeed the obligation. I'm duty bound to make this determination. Uh, we also, I rather, um, laid out that the record demonstrates that in fact, the events of January 6, 2021, which were unprecedented and tragic, uh, were an insurrection uh, in the meaning of section three of the 14th amendment. And finally, uh, in reviewing the facts presented the evidence, uh, the law, the history, um, we determined uh, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that Mr. Trump engaged in insurrection and therefore was disqualified. Now, I, I, I have to say, not only is this an incredibly important decision, but it's a very brave decision. Brave. Uh, the Trump campaign has, has already come out attacking you. Uh, they have said that you are a, a virulent leftist and a hyper-partisan Biden-supporting Democrat. First and foremost, it's important to know, my oath to the Constitution, my obligations to the Constitution and rule of law come before any other consideration. No other factors could weigh on that decision and did not. I'm duty-bound to both hold a hearing and make a ruling. And under the law, there's a very compressed timeline. Uh, in evaluating this, uh, I came to the conclusion that I could not, unfortunately or fortunately, wait for the United States Supreme Court to make a de decision. Uh, the main law required me to issue that decision, which I did today. I smile because we were number one in voter turnout per capita in 2022. We are really proud of that. And we have a really strong framework of election laws that encourage citizen participation. Uh, we have same-day voter registration. We have no excuse absentee voting up to 30 days prior to election day. Uh, we uh, make it really easy to register to vote, to cast your ballot, and know your ballot will be counted. And we're really proud of our national leadership in voter participation and citizen engagement in elections and in the democratic process. So obviously they've got a history of great 
election practices with their same-day registration and their record-high voter turnout. Let me tell you something, folks. And I think I've said this on air before. I know I've said this in conversation a number of times. We've heard from politicians on both sides of the aisle for decades that it's so important to get out the vote, increase voter turnout, register as many people as possible, get as much participation in the election process as possible. But if you look at the history of voter turnout in the United States of America, I believe the highest voter turnout was in 1860. And so my theory on this whole process is that the more people show up to vote, the higher the voter turnout is, the closer a nation, any nation, whether it's ours or any other nation, is to civil war. Because you've gotten both sides so angry, so invested, people who would otherwise be not interested in politics at all or care at all, which was like the millennial generation that I grew up in. Nobody cared in the 90s. It's like, whatever, Bill, whatever, who cares? George, Bill, Al Gore, who cares? Voter turnout's low because either one is fine. But when things get really intense and people start to struggle and feel the pressure and they want to get involved in the political process, that means that you have a lot of contention and controversy and division in a nation. So she's talking about the highest voter turnout in her state. That indicates to me that you've got a population there that is very, very upset, very divided, very involved in the political process because they're feeling the pressures of the incompetence of our leadership. They've got strong opinions either for or against Trump. So you've got record voter turnout. You've got people who actually participate in the electoral process, but you're going to remove the leading candidate from the ballot. Despite the fact that all indications are that the higher the voter turnout is, the closer we are to actual violent conflict in this country. And I don't think that we're on necessarily the precipice of a violent civil war. I, I think they sneak up on you. I think they come as a, out of a sort of a conglomeration of conflicts and issues over time. It's sort of like bankruptcy. You know what they say about bankruptcy? They say that it comes very slow and then all at once. That's what civil war, I think, is like. It's going to come slow. Maybe it's coming slow now. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be in it. All of a sudden, it happens. It just pops. It's like an emergency or a crisis out of nowhere. It's spontaneous almost, even though it's been building up for a long time. It's like an overnight success. 20 years in the making, you hear entrepreneurs say, after they've made a killing. Stick with us, folks. We're going to cover more news on the other side. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason we are still on the air. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. So much to talk about. So we've been covering this deballoting of Trump in Maine. And this came just sort of moments after this breaking story here that Trump is back on the Colorado primary ballot. This is from Kellen McBreen yesterday here at InfoWars.com. Colorado Secretary of State has revealed Donald Trump will be on the state's 2024 GOP primary ballot despite the Colorado Supreme Court recently ruling that Trump was ineligible to serve as president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Colorado Republican Party filed an appeal to the state's Supreme Court decision on Wednesday, and Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold responded the following day. She stated... 
Colorado Republican Party has appealed the Colorado Supreme Court's decision in Anderson versus Griswold to the U.S. Supreme Court. With the appeal filed, Donald Trump will be included as a candidate on Colorado's 2024 presidential primary ballot when certification occurs on January 5th of 2024, unless the U.S. Supreme Court declines to take the case or otherwise affirms the Colorado Supreme Court ruling. So he's sort of back on. It's still possible that he would be off the ballot, but he's sort of back on. And then we hear this news from Maine that he's been sort of unilaterally removed by the Secretary of State, who's just sort of made the decision single-handedly because it was her duty to just determine the guilt or innocence of a man in terms of an insurrection. And it's not only that, but she just sort of took it upon herself to interpret the 14th Amendment, which is her interpretation is very questionable, to say the least. So what's going to happen is this is these are these issues are going to go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court in my opinion is going to put Trump back on the ballot because we've got a good Supreme Court right now. But the problem is and I tweeted something about this. The problem is it should never have come to this. I think I said something to the effect of it's almost as maddening that this issue has to be decided by the Supreme Court of the United States whether or not Trump can be on a ballot in a state as it was maddening that a rogue billionaire had to save free speech on the internet. We shouldn't get to this point as a civilization where things like freedom of speech are saved by some rogue fluke hero just out of, sort of some sort of divine miracle almost. It's almost like God came down and just inspired Elon Musk to do the right thing. It's a total fluke thing. I mean, there, there wasn't really much of a financial incentive. I guess there was a legacy incentive and a personal principles incentive, and there was the data incentive for Grok, the artificial intelligence that he's developing. I mean, there were incentives, but ultimately this has been a major pain in the butt for Elon Musk to be involved with this, to deal with the ADL, to be called an anti-Semitic. I mean, his reputation has been really just run through the ringer. And this is someone who's largely dependent on federal contracts for all of his businesses, whether it's Tesla and the green energy initiatives. I know he was just denied subsidies, likely because of some of his Twitter behavior for Tesla. But his SpaceX contracts are major partners with the federal government. I mean, that business is totally dependent on contracts with the federal government. Not a whole lot of demand for private businesses sending up thousands upon thousands of satellites. I mean, the business wouldn't exist without... So he comes out and he purchases Twitter and insists that it be made into a free speech platform, despite the fact that basically his entire fortune is dependent on having some sort of a favorable relationship with the federal government, as, it stands, as I understand it, as it stands, between Tesla and the subsidies and the green energy initiatives that have catalyzed the electric vehicle, and between SpaceX and all the federal contracts and partnerships public-private partnerships that have enabled him to actually send rockets into space and fail and fail and then succeed and succeed time and time again. So it doesn't seem to me that he had any incentive to do this other than that he really just wanted to. And it's a miracle that he did. It's like I said, it's like God came down and touched his heart. Like you know, God came and hardened Pharaoh's heart, got him to chase after Moses and Exodus. Well, he could do the opposite. Maybe he did that with Elon. But it shouldn't come to that. Why is it that as a nation, we've come to a place where free speech was guaranteed 99.99999% certain to not exist on the internet 
for this election cycle. There was not going to be any Alex Jones, any InfoWars on any of the major social media platforms. We were going to have to watch what we said about things like vaccines, about things like 2020 election integrity. We're going to have to watch what we said about virtually everything. And the political opposition, the left, was going to be able to make any claim they wanted and we wouldn't be in a position to defend ourselves because we'd be deplatformed or censored or silenced or fired or whatever. And that's an untenable position because there's not always going to be an Elon Musk. There's not always going to be a favorable Supreme Court to respond to these really obvious cases. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are very tricky cases. There are controversial issues. It is very hard to determine what's right, what's wrong. There are Supreme Court cases throughout history where the courts really had to look very closely at something and reasonable people could see either side. They can see either way that this could be argued. Both sort of made sense, but both had issues. We all know what it feels like to sort of not be able to make a decision because we're torn. But these cases are not those cases. I mean, it's very obvious that freedom of speech is a good thing and that these platforms and their policies were antagonistic toward freedom of speech, creating all sorts of problems, hiding the truth, censoring the truth, empowering the state to lie and deceive the people, it's very obvious. And it's very obvious that Donald Trump should be on the ballot so that the people can actually choose whether or, not, whether or not they think January 6th was an insurrection. I mean, if enough people actually believed it was an insurrection, then it stands to reason that they would vote against him. And the state knows that not enough people actually believe that January 6th was an insurrection or that it was an insurrection incited by President Donald Trump to catalyze the outcome that they want in 2024. They know that most people disagree with them. And so in the name of democracy, they're just going to overrule the majority. It's like a paradigm. It's, it's, it's totally conflicting. It doesn't make any sense. They are this political elite that advocates democracy so much, yet when it comes to these issues, they believe that their judgment is 100% better, safer, more reasonable, more responsible than the judgment of the voters. And I'm not an advocate for democracy. I don't believe in straight-up democracy where every citizen can vote on every single issue. I think that causes all sorts of problems. You have mob rule. You have the majority violating the rights of minorities in those instances. Happen time and time again throughout history. Democracies lead to tyranny. Straight democracies don't work. The mob will do cruel and unusual things to minorities and individuals if it's given that much power. So I believe that we should have representatives that vote on all the issues like we do in a republic. But the democratic process that we are supposed to have in this republic is the democratic process that allows voters to choose who gets to vote on all the legislation but they're trying to take even that away from us. They want us to be rendered so powerless that we can't even choose who represents us among them. This is a total class divide between the political class and the American class. It is an attack on all freedom, an attack on America itself. Stick with us, folks. We'll get more into it on the other side. Tune into the American Journal, where Chase Geyser deciphers the heartbeat of a nation. 
Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. Today is Friday, December 29th. We will be rebroadcasting this episode on Monday, as that is New Year's Day, and we're going to be out of the office that day. And then, of course, on Tuesday, I will be back with you as well, guest hosting, until the great Harrison Smith returns on Wednesday morning. Spending some time at a wedding, I believe, this weekend. It's going to be in sunny California. So we've talked about how the left is trying to bring Trump off the ballot. They tried to do it in Colorado. They tried to do it in Maine. It's indicative of how hypocritical they are. It shows that there is a chance that he could win, that the elections aren't 100% rigged, and they're trying to rig them. And it shows just how corrupt and evil they are, that they don't believe in the democratic process at all. They don't want the voters to have a choice at all, because that would be too great a risk to their established power to allow the voters to have the ability or the opportunity to disrupt the political establishment that they've concocted at the expense of the American people over the last several decades. But we do see, for some reason, an abundant number of candidates running against Trump in the Republican primary, yet I can name virtually no one in the Democratic primary running against Biden. I know that there are candidates. I know RFK was technically a Democrat running against him, and now he's running as an independent, probably because he's a plant to pull votes away from Trump. The data shows that he's getting more contributions from prior or former Trump voters than he is from former Biden or Democratic supporters. So he is actually splitting the vote away from Trump as it stands. But why is it that so many Republicans are running against Donald Trump, yet so few Democrats are running against Joe Biden? I mean, it's like they've got the whole thing buttoned up. And I know that technically he's the incumbent, Joe Biden. He's in office now, but Trump's an incumbent too. Not in the sense that he's in the office now running for the same office, but he's been in the office before last term. So it's really sort of a unique situation that we have these two incumbents running against each other. But why is it that we have so many candidates running against Trump? And some of it, I think, is just political opportunity. We've got Vivek. He's basically refused to say anything negative about Donald Trump because I think he knows that he's not, Vivek isn't going to get the primary nod. And he wants to be involved in the administration. He wants to influence the policy of the Trump administration. If he can get enough support that his endorsement matters, then he can have an impact on some of the Trump administration's policy. It's just like what Bernie Sanders did against Hillary Clinton in the last cycle, the 2016 cycle, when they stole the election from him in the primary. He was able, because he had so much support, to actually leverage coerce, manipulate, push, massage, whatever word you want to use, her general election policy, shift it, push it in the direction that he wanted. And so it makes sense that Vivek's running, not saying anything negative. Maybe he wants a cabinet position. Maybe he wants to influence the policy. Maybe he just wants to set himself up for political success down the road. There's a number of incentives, reasons that make sense for Vivek to run. I think he's very smart. And I think he's an honest person. I like him a lot. But why is Chris Christie running? I mean, is it just a personal vendetta? I know that Trump and Chrissy didn't really get along. They don't really seem to like each other that much. If you look into some of the contention after the end of the last campaign, he just seems kind of bitter. Why is Nikki Haley running? I mean, she was part of the Trump administration. She was the ambassador, the UN ambassador. Why is she running? Because she wants to hook Boeing up with more missiles? Because she wants to go to war? 
for the military-industrial complex on which she was enriched, by which she was enriched, as she sat on the board of Boeing. But the crazy thing is here, you can see how phony she is. It's, and she's phony almost, she's almost like, I was watching her the other day, and she strikes me like the Republican version of Elizabeth Warren. You remember the famous Elizabeth Warren moment where she did that live stream with her husband and she's, she's in her kitchen. She's like, thank you for being here. Trump famously, she li he lives there, right? That was the famous criticism. But you have this sort of just, you can just tell that they're establishment and that they're really just not genuine about anything. You've got the Elizabeth Warren who lies about whether or not she's got the Native American heritage. It turns out she's one 1,024th Native American, which means that Barack Obama is literally 500 times more white than Elizabeth Warren is Native American. The math adds up. So you've got Elizabeth Warren lying about her ethnicity, and then you have Nikki Haley not even using her real name. So they're kind of the same that way. And they just come off as just very establishment. Elizabeth Warren, you remember all the times that she came out, she said that she was going to split up Big tech, because it was just too big, it was too powerful. She was going to divide up Google and Facebook. They just have too much power. And then you have Nikki Haley coming out saying that nobody should be able to be anonymous on social media accounts. There should be accountability. Everybody should have to put their real name, despite the fact that she doesn't even use her real name, despite the fact that she forced her husband to change his name 15 years ago or whatever it was. They're the same. I mean, I guess one kind of talks more like a Republican than the other, but they're both sort of globalists, big government, more war, more spending, more control, more regulation. They're the same flipping candidate. Let's watch this clip of her. This is clip 11. Refusing to acknowledge that the Civil War was about slavery. And I know it's controversial. I know there are many differing views among the listeners. And I did the research. I'm a Yankee, so forgive me. I'm no fan of Abraham Lincoln, but I, I am a Yankee. I was born in Illinois, the land of Lincoln. I did the research, and I came to the conclusion that, yes, the Civil War was about states' rights, but the state right that was at issue was whether or not a state could have slavery. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. And I know the vast majority of people in the South didn't actually own slaves, and I know that many people fought in the Civil War because they believed in other issues or they were critical of the Union for other reasons than slavery. But when you look at the documents, the articles of cause, when you look at what the actual state legislatures said when they seceded from the union, they all made a document saying why they did. And all of those documents mentioned slavery, many of them in the first sentence, most of them in the first paragraph. I believe slavery is mentioned 84 times across several of those initial secession documents. So even the state legislatures of the southern states who seceded acknowledged that slavery was a major issue that was a catalyst for their secession. So to me, it's obvious that the Civil War was primarily about slavery, frankly. It doesn't make Confederates evil people. It doesn't mean that everybody who's descended from a Confederate or is from the South is some sort of racist rebel descended from evil men. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, historically speaking, if it weren't for that issue, I don't think the Civil War would have happened, at least not when it happened, okay? And so you have Nikki Haley, who doesn't have the courage 
to say that because she is worried that it's going to alienate the audience. I mean, I know you guys are conservative people. I know there's a lot of Southerners and Civil War buffs and historians, and we could talk about this in the calls in the last hour today. I know a lot of the listeners hate it when I suggest that the Civil War was about slavery. I know that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people passionately disagree. I'm happy to hear the other side of this, okay? But I am confident enough, or I don't want to use the word brave. I'm not scared to tell you what I actually think about it because I know we've got a relationship. I know there's a benefit of the doubt here. I'm just going to tell you what I think because I'm not a liar. I'm not a fake person. Why would I just act like it was about states' rights if I didn't actually believe that? But Nikki, on the other hand... I guess we're going to have to run it in the other segment because we're running out of time in this one. She doesn't have the courage to say it, even though it's what she believes. And we can't have politicians that don't have the courage to speak the truth to the people. You can't just tell the people what they always want to hear because oftentimes the people want to hear some stupid stuff or they're wrong, and what they want to hear is just the wrong move, or you've just blatantly got to lie to them if you want to tell them what they want to hear. If it's not true, you got to lie to them. And so we have a politician that's going to go into office, running for office, and she would be going into the White House scared of what the American people think about every single belief, principle, or issue that she has, and she will lie or delay or just be a total phony like Elizabeth Warren in order to protect her own political clout. More on the other side, folks. To the American Journal, folks. I'm Chase Geyser, your host this morning. Let's go ahead and run that clip, clip 11 of Nikki Haley basically refusing to acknowledge what she obviously believes that the Civil War was primarily about slavery. I know it was a gotcha question, but let's see how she responds and sort of reinforce the points that I made at the end of the last segment. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? <laughs> Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your a good thing. on the cause of the Civil War. <laughs> I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. <laughs> what do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. Yeah. Next I, question. I, I don't know. how. Why, why would you dodge that question? If Abraham Lincoln could get elected in 1860, despite the fact that he wasn't on the ballot in 10 southern states... 
then you would think that Nikki Haley could get elected in 2023 with an outspoken critique of slavery, right? It's just such cowardice. She's either a coward or she's just plain stupid. Let's see what Chris Christie had to say about this in clip number four here. See, because if she is unwilling to stand up and say that slavery is what caused the Civil War because she's afraid of offending constituents in some other part of the country, if she's afraid to say that Donald Trump is unfit because she's afraid of offending people who support Donald Trump and because maybe she harbors in the back of her mind being vice president or being secretary of state. And since she won't deny it, we have to believe that she's willing to do it. If she's unwilling to stand up to that, what's going to happen when she's got to stand up to Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries in Congress? What's going to happen when she has to stand up to Vladimir Putin and President Xi in China? What's going to happen when she has to stand up against forces in our own party who want to drag this country deeper and deeper into anger and division and exhaustion? All right, so I'm no fan of Chris Christie. I think he's very obviously got some problems, some big problems some sizable problems. And I think that he's obnoxious. And I think he's self-righteous. I don't think that he's very popular. I think it's stupid that he's running. I think he's hypercritical of Trump for no reason. I don't think he really accomplished much as a governor. The only cool thing he ever did was he beat down Marco Rubio in a primary debate, I think in 2016. That was a pretty cool debate moment. But debate moments aren't all it takes. I don't like him. I, I don't know why I would vote for him or support him. And I don't like what he said about Trump there. I don't agree with it. But he's right. He's right about Nikki Haley. How is she supposed to stand up in even more difficult political situations where there's more difficult conflicts of interest? There's more difficult special interests in place that conflict with one another. If she can't even stand up and say, hey, it was slavery was a major part of it. It was about slavery. And, I, and like I said, I, I want you guys to call in if you feel differently. But the reason I believe what I believe is not because I'm a Yankee and I grew up in the land of Lincoln and my school taught me that. And it's not because I believe that Confederates are racists. It's because I looked it up this week and the states themselves said when they seceded from the Union that it was about slavery. It was very obviously about slavery. I posted a tweet about it. I, I shared the links and the articles and the screenshots of the declarations of cause and intent and why. And I'm not saying that Abraham Lincoln was a good guy. I know that Abraham Lincoln was explicitly racist. I listened to, I didn't listen to, I read his speeches before he was elected in 1860. I read the debates that he had with Douglas. I know that he explicitly said that he didn't believe that black people and white people should be able to intermarry. I know that he explicitly said that it's a natural order of a society that there be a superior and an inferior class, that there be a dominant and a submissive class that one group must answer to the other. I know that he was a racist dude. I know that he threw out the Constitution and even explicitly advocated for throwing out the Constitution in order to save the Union. I know that he didn't actually care about black people and it was just sort of an excuse that he used. 
I know that he wanted the union to exist as a union for reasons other than simple emancipation. It wasn't out of the kindness of his heart or his love and affection as some sort of Jesus messianic figure that he fought the Civil War. He fought the Civil War for the power of the union. So I'm not some guy that thinks that Abraham Lincoln's some hero. And it bothers me when Republicans are like, you know who the first Republican was? It was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, great. The guy that wouldn't let the states secede. Obviously, I don't agree with slavery. I don't agree with the reason that the states wanted to secede. But I do believe that states ought to be able to secede. After all, our country itself is a secession from the English Empire, the British Empire, right? So if our country's founded on secession and we're making it illegal for states within our country to secede, then isn't that hypocritical? Basically, the only way that a secession could actually legally happen in this country would be a civil war, but it didn't have to be that way. And like I said, I'm not an advocate for slavery by any means. I hate that the South chose to secede over that issue, which has forever tainted the notion or the concept or the argument for secession. Now, when you utter the word secession, the first thing nine out of 10 people think about in the United States of America who know anything about what happened in the Civil War, the first thing they think about is slavery. So if you advocate for secession, then in their mind, you're on the Confederate side. In their mind, you believe in slavery. In their mind, you're a racist, you're a bigot. When there are so many other reasons to secede, maybe the fact that one out of every four days that you work, the money that you make goes straight to the federal government. And then another 25% of the money you make goes to property taxes and healthcare costs. And another 25% of the money you make goes to sales tax and social security tax. And by the time it's all said and done, like 70% of your work just goes straight to the government. Basically, you're a slave now. Honestly, the reason that we should be seceding from the union now is to fight against slavery. When the first secession was to protect the institution of slavery, then now the justification is just the opposite. If we want to be free, liberated from this political class, which has subjugated us and sold out all of our interests to international groups, the international political elites, like the Schwabs of the world, the WEFs, the NATOs, the UNs, the Zelenskys. Honestly, the next civil war, if there's actually a secession that catalyzes it, is going to be a secession for freedom from slavery, not a secession to protect slavery. That's the fact of the matter. The next civil war will actually be about slavery, regardless of what you think about the first one. The next one is going to be about slavery. We'll get more into the news in the next segment. In the meantime, make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. Game-changing New Year's specials from InfoWars are here. Get up to 60% off plus free shipping and double Patriot points. The new year is upon us. It's time to reevaluate your approach to your supplement routine with these InfoWars essentials. Our powerhouse formulas are up to 60% off, and the savings don't stop there. We're giving you free shipping storewide and double Patriot points on all purchases, folks. Shop now to get massive savings on all these incredible products. 40% off Winter Sun Plus. 25% off TurboForce Plus, my personal favorite. 25% off Survival Shield X2. 40% off VasoBeat Complete. 40% off Bodies. 40% off DNA Force Plus. 40% off Ultra 12, another one of my favorites. 50% off Real Red Pill Plus. 50% off Down and Out Sleep Support. 60% off Brain Force Plus and Brain Force Ultra, my third favorite. 
Plus, even more, take advantage of the huge sale today and get the InfoWars Life New Year's special to save up to 60% off. You can start your year with a bang today at InfoWarsStore.com. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason that we are still on the air. We need your support now more than ever. Freedom of speech is more important now than ever in this 2024 election cycle, which is going to determine the fate of our nation itself. Stick with us, folks. More on the other side. It's your host, Chase Geyser, on the American Journal. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host. This morning, filling in for the great Harrison Smith. Talked a little bit about RFK last segment when I was making the point that there just don't seem to be enough candidates running against Biden, given how terrible he is and how low his approval rating is. I, I guess it's because Democrats feel that it would be political suicide to betray the party like that. And I'm really, really on the edge thinking that RFK is a plant. I really think he's just running as an independent to split the vote. But let's hear what he had to say. This was a very interesting video. I oftentimes agree with what he says and like what he says. That's the problem. Because I, I know that others that are like-minded then agree with what he says and like what he says. And that's likely going to split the vote against Trump. And then if that vote's split, that means the Democrats going to get ushered in. Right? Let's see what he says here in clip number eight. Over a hundred years ago, during World War One, the Ottoman Empire perpetrated the first genocide of the modern era when it murdered a million and a half ethnic Armenians. That ethnic cleansing wiped out thousands of years of Armenian presence in Anatolia. Today, the oldest of all Armenian territories is now the victim of an ethnic cleansing campaign. This time, it's Arsakh also known as Nagorno-Karabakh. During the Soviet era, the Kremlin forcibly incorporated this Christian territory into Muslim Azerbaijan. Arsak had been Orthodox Christian and Armenian for over a thousand years. It has one of the oldest, most beautiful cathedrals in the world. Beginning in 2020, Azerbaijan ruthlessly launched an ethnic cleansing campaign against this peaceful and peace-loving people. It systematically bombarded population centers with cluster bombs and missiles. And in September, Azerbaijan launched an unprovoked invasion and expelled all 120,000 ethnic Armenians. While the world was focused on Gaza and Israel with indignation and outrage from every direction, we heard almost nothing about this mass expulsion of the entire population of one of the oldest Armenian states on the planet. Empty condemnations of this ethnic cleansing campaign are not enough. Unlike the 1915 genocide, this one is reversible. The U.S. government needs to organize and mobilize the global community to take action to ensure so the safe return of Armenians to We need to get involved in another conflict. Now, he makes a great point here. The point that is sort of implicit is that what we're supporting Israel, we're supporting Ukraine, but we're totally ignoring this Armenian genocide. And we've totally ignored the fact that over 50,000 Christians in Nigeria have been massacred since 2009 by a radical Islamist group, sect, that's been active in the region. So implicitly the point is, 
Obviously, when our government or the state comes out and says that it's getting involved in a conflict for humanitarian purposes, obviously that's not true. Because why do we ignore all these other crises? Some of them much greater. Some of them much more obviously based on the destruction of people for their religious beliefs or immutable characteristics. He shows implicitly in that video that the real reason our government gets involved in these conflicts has nothing to do with any sort of principle, philosophy, or ideal, or humanitarian empathy. That is just the excuse that we use to get involved. And instead of saying, therefore, we shouldn't be getting involved in any of these conflicts and we should focus all of our attention on domestic issues to help our own people, who it is our duty primarily to represent as a priority, he says that we should get involved in this Armenian conflict and we should leverage and mobilize the international global community as a globalist. The, the way that you mobilize the international community is you threaten them implicitly with sanctions or you bully them or you leverage aid to them in exchange for their help here. That's globalism. That is the selling out of the interests of the American people for the sake of some internationalist agenda. He's not a good dude. He's not some here. He's right about the Armenians. Terrible stuff. He's right about our own government's hypocrisy, but he is a globalist, folks. More on the other side. the American Journal. Folks, I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning, filling in for the great Harrison Smith. This episode will be rebroadcast on Monday, as that is New Year's Day, and we will not be in the studio. I will be back as your guest host again on Tuesday, because Harrison is out of town for the holiday weekend at a wedding. But he'll be back on Wednesday, which we're all excited for, because I love to watch the American Journal when Harrison hosts. I don't even know what to talk about next. I mean, we've covered the Colorado ballot. He's back on. We covered the main stuff. We covered the hypocrisy. We covered the duplicitousness, duplicity of all the candidates that are running against Trump on the Republican side. Some of the questionable details about RFK and the fact that he's fairly clearly a globalist. And really all these news stories, they... They tell the same story. It's the reason Alex Jones has been right about so much over the last 30 years, because the overall narrative is true, that the establishment political class is conglomerating and it is working together on an international level to ensure the sustainability and expansion of its own power. And in order to do that, it has to sell out the interests of the people of the various nations, our nation, other nations. And it has to slowly erode the rights and freedoms of the constituents. So when they realize that they have no freedom left, it's too late and they can't do anything about it. That's the overarching theme. And they tried it a number of different ways. They try it with sanctions and currency manipulation. They're trying it now with these digital currencies and these digital IDs that they want to implement. They try it by getting us involved in conflict after conflict, even allowing terrorist attacks to happen in order to justify or catalyze these wars. They do it by ensuring that we are saddled with debt, that we depend on the government to bail us out or save the day. They do it by lying about pandemics that they actually manufactured and then lying about the efficacy and safety of the drugs to treat those manufactured pandemics and then forcing everybody to take them so they're inoculated. 
I mean, just use your imagination for a second. You don't even have to use your imagination. Just wake up, open your eyes, and look around, and you'll see all of the different ways that any government, specifically our government, has been working for decades to ensure that you have no freedom and it has total power. And this globalization is a mechanism by which these members of this political class secure power for themselves indefinitely. It's like if everybody, every team in the NBA got together and just decided we are not going to draft new players any season. We're going to work together. We're going to fix the prices. We're going to make sure that every team has the same players forever. We're just going to decide together that we don't want any new variables in here because we want to make sure that we can be on the team forever. We don't want to age out. We don't want to retire out. So we're going to create a union and just say that none of us are going to work if any of us gets fired. Imagine if the NBA players just unionized against the NBA and said, hey, if you fire so-and-so, then none of us are playing. They could do that and leverage themselves into perpetual careers. Feasibly. I'm sure it's never going to happen, but feasibly they could do that. That's what our political class has done. Our political class has come together and they have fixed the price of power. They have agreed that they will work together to ensure that they stay in power, that they will exchange their various constituents' tax dollars among each other so they can launder the kickback through the non-government organizations or the contractors back into their own pockets because they'll be invested in those businesses that these tax dollars are spent on. And it's just one big money laundering Ponzi scheme. And they don't even have to raise taxes in order to make the scheme scale because all they have to do is print money. Keep in mind, inflation is a tax. It is the taxation of buying power where the government prints the money and it gets a greater proportion of all buying power without having to take a single dollar out of your account. It is a way that they can tax you without actually passing a tax increase. So they don't even have to raise taxes in order to tax you or to make your money worthless, to steal from you, actually, just steal from you. They can just print the money, then they've got it, then they run it through their contractors, they get the kickback, done deal. And they do this thinking that it's some sort of benefit to society, that they're actually the noble heroes, that the projects that they're having implemented are for the benefit of society and actually helping us. And they're so good. And this green energy is going to save the planet and the climate and humanity and all these, these foreign aid groups and nonprofits that we set up are really helping the vulnerable. And that's how they justify it in their heads. Everybody justifies the terrible, evil stuff that they do in their own mind because nobody wants to think of themselves as the villain in their own story. Everyone's the hero in their own story. Even the most evil people thought they were good. Even the evil people today think they're good. The Klaus Schwab's think they're great. Nancy Pelosi thinks she's great. Hillary Clinton thinks she's the best. Yeah, yeah, I killed those people. I, I just had to because we couldn't let a Republican be in office. We couldn't let any of the dirt come out about my family. That would really undermine the Clinton Foundation. And this entire system that we've set up that's going to save the planet and globalize all government, they, they justify it in their own mind. They think that they're actually good people. But the real incentive, the true reason that they're doing this is not out of any sort of compassion. These are people that indiscriminately call for beheadings and hangings and bombings of various nations. You think Hillary Clinton cares about the climate when she's going after Gaddafi? Or just 
indiscriminately supporting the bombing or lying about what happens in our various embassies when they get attacked? This is not a good person. The real incentive that this political class does everything that it does, supports all the programs that it supports, is not because the programs are actually what we need or because it's the right thing to do or because they care. It's because they get kickback on all of these deals. And they scratch each other's back in a favorable sort of reward-type environment. And then on the other hand, there's the blackmail environment where you have the Epsteins that go around and get all the most powerful people onto the plane over the course of 20 or 30 years, many of whom got on the plane and went to the island after his first round of convictions. And then they videotape them. They record him with his however many passports he had. The guy was Mossad. He had blackmailed dirt on all the leaders, all of the most powerful people in the world. So there's the reward aspect where, hey, you're going to make a ton of money if you work with us. And by the way, if you don't work with us, we're actually going to make life really miserable for you. You're going to be totally imprisoned, disreputable, ruined. You can't do it without us. Come and join the team. We're going to give you everything you ever wanted. Like they come at it from both sides, reward and punishment. They don't have to choose. It's not like Pavlov. You don't choose between reward and punishment. You just give both. You say, listen, if you follow us, it's going to be awesome for you. If you don't, it's going to be hell for you. That's what they do. And so we have a more and more corrupt class. We have an increasingly corrupt government. And they do things like push vaccines on us and push diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is now impacting who's going to be a surgeon in this country. Surgeon says toxic DEI in medicine has led to erosion of quality care dangerous to our patients. So if you hire somebody just because of their race, not because they're competent, maybe that's okay at a grocery store. But when you're talking about a surgeon, that seems very problematic to me because that's somebody that's got somebody else's life in their hands every day, right? And the problem with this is it's in the name of mitigating racism or compensating for racism but what it's going to do is it's going to catalyze more racism than ever existed before because now whenever anybody goes to a surgeon if they see a surgeon of color in the back of their mind they're going to be thinking is that surgeon only here because of his race whereas that was not something that any of us thought about in 2002 or in 1992 back when we were much closer to institutionalized racism in this country in terms of chronologically much closer to 1964 1963 in 1992 than today, but now I got to go in and wonder whether or not that person's a pilot because they're actually good at flying a plane or because of the race, or I got to wonder whether or not that person's going to be a safe surgeon for me or my child or my wife because they're a person of color. That's not a thought that would have occurred to me before the DEI. Now the DEI makes me have prejudiced racist thoughts. It does. The policy is making people racist because it's a matter of life and death when you're talking about a surgeon. Stick with us, folks. We're going to get into more news on the other side. Visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason we are still on the air. So much to talk about and calls in the final hour coming up in 45 minutes. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host. This morning, filling in for the great Harrison Smith. More news throughout this hour than your calls in the third hour. Regarding our politicians selling us out, we know that the border is an example of this. Not only does it allow terrorists to come in in order to catalyze the next sort of major U.S. involvement in the Middle East, but it 
consumes a tremendous amount of money. And we know that the more the government spends, the more our politicians make because they're invested in all the organizations that the government spends money on or hires to do these things. The DOJ threatens to sue Texas if it enforces its new border security law. Governor Abbott responded to the DOJ's threats on Thursday afternoon, stating Biden is destroying America, Texas is trying to save it. The Biden admin not only refuses to enforce current U.S. immigration laws, they now want to stop Texas from enforcing laws against illegal immigration. I've never seen such hostility to the rule of law in America. Biden is destroying America. Texas is trying to save it, according to Greg Abbott. Joe Biden's Department of Justice has threatened to sue Texas Governor Greg Abbott if he enforces a recently passed law allowing state and local law enforcement officials to arrest illegal immigrants. So not only are they failing, the federal government, to protect the border, but then when... Other states, organizations, or institutions create policies to do it for them. They don't allow it to happen. So that goes to show that this crisis at the border is not something that's happening because the federal government lacks resources or the problem is so complicated that they haven't figured out how to solve it yet. It's not because there's not enough border patrol agents. It's not any sort of actual complication on a pragmatic scale, on a rational, sort of reasonable, just problem-solving level that's getting in the way of the federal government solving the border problem. Since Texas came out and said, look, we have a way that we're going to solve it or address it or mitigate it, and the federal government saying, no, we're going to sue you if you do that, that proves that our federal government is allowing this to happen, wants this to happen. They're not failing to prevent it they are acting to support it. They are taxing us, then using that money to fund the invasion of our own country. Is that not treason? And I don't care about whether you're an immigrant or not. If you came over here legitimately, legally, whatever, that's great. I'm descended from immigrant, immigrants. Everybody here is. That doesn't bother me one bit. It's not a racist, xenophobic thing, whatever. The problem is when you have 12,000 people coming into the country every single day, many of them from terrorist organizations, in the context of major international violent conflict on multiple fronts between superpowers, maybe that's a good time to, I don't know, close the door until things settle down outside? And it's not a matter of them failing to uphold their duty as a government to protect our border and our rights and our national sovereignty, it's that they're actually stealing money from us, the citizens, and funding the invasion of our own country because they're getting the kickback on all the services and support and the lawyers that we pay for for them and the phones that we give them and the clothes that we give them and the resources we give them and the hotels and the condos, whatever. They're all super invested in this. And we've even got Democrats at the local level that are like, what is going on? The federal government is like absolutely crazy. Let's watch clip 10 here of the Chicago mayor saying that collapse is imminent in the city of Chicago due to the migrant crisis. Let's go ahead and run clip 10. In Chicago, anywhere else in the country, um, the public good is already stressed. Um, whether it's our transportation system, our healthcare system, our education system, you know, all of these systems are already stretched. Um, to meet the, the, the demands of families who um, have been here. Um, you know, over the past seven months, it's been uh, an incredible, an incredible strain on every aspect 
of, of city services. And we're going to run clip six here in a second because I want you to see that this is not just an example of a politician complaining or outsourcing his failures or problems, blaming somebody else for what's going on. Obviously, Chicago's got problems, and there's plenty of reasons that a mayor of Chicago would want to blame somebody else for all the problems that they're having. But wouldn't a Democratic mayor then want to blame the Republicans for the issues that are going on? Or the rural communities or the red counties of the state for not passing legislation to help deal with the issues? Why would a Democratic mayor of Chicago, this is the Chicago Democratic machine, it has catalyzed all sorts of corruption throughout our history and supported all sorts of politicians, namely Barack Obama, this is a machine that is very loyal to the Democratic Party. It is basically symbiotic to the Democratic Party, and yet it is crying out for help, saying that this migrant crisis is ridiculous. This is totally embarrassing to our federal president of the United States, but it's so bad that even Chicago has to step back and say, whoa, this is screwed up. Let's look at what's going on at Eagle Pass in Texas. This is clip six. Check this out. Another thing is these crowds here in Eagle Pass have never been this large during my reporting. This is the most people I've ever seen in Eagle Pass and other reporters, colleagues working other parts of the border in Arizona, in Hakumba, near San Diego. Tell me the same thing. We have these conversations and the conversation is always, well, I've never seen this number of migrants arriving. And we know from the reports coming from the government with these numbers. So we have the number of apprehensions, the numbers of encounters, everything spiking. So we we don't know what this will mean moving forward. We just know that the numbers are much larger as the resources are spread. Th there you go. We're being invaded. It's being funded by the federal government. And if anybody tries to do anything about it, the federal government says that it's going to sue you. Meanwhile, if you try to vote for a candidate that would reverse these policies, the government's going to imprison you for protesting on behalf of that candidate or call you a right-wing extremist, or call you a MAGA Republican terrorist or a domestic terrorist. And simultaneously, they're going to do everything they can to imprison the candidate that you support. And if they can't imprison the candidate that you support, then they're going to do everything they can to ensure that that candidate isn't legally allowed on enough ballots to actually win or be the candidate. If you want to stop this. If you want to stop the invasion of our country by strangers... The federal government is going to do everything it can to shut you down. Simple as that. They're, they're going to go so far as to imprison you. And they're not even going to let you support a candidate that agrees with you. This is all in the name of democracy. All in the name of helping the less fortunate, of helping these refugees, these people that are suffering some sort of crisis. We're going to just let them flood into our country. We're going to give them all of our resources, despite the fact that bankruptcies are up 20% year over year. Everybody's suffering and struggling. Those who would traditionally have purchased a home by now haven't, demographically speaking. All of the stats, you fall on usual whales for one day, you will see the decline of our nation's economy, our strength. And it's not because our government is failing us. It's because our government is betraying us. It's not because our government is incompetent. 
because our government knows exactly what it's doing. It's just not working for you. Stick with us, folks. More on the other side. American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We got more news to cover over the next 30 minutes, and we'll be taking calls in the last hour. I'm just going to hammer out some of these stories really quickly. Biden announces 250 million in military aid to Ukraine. Final package of 2023, but not the final package of the war, I'm sure. Despite the fact that they're losing, I saw clips last night. Apparently, Kiev is just getting hit with bomb after bomb, missile after missile. They're saying it's because the Ukrainian defense forces are intercepting Russian missiles, and then that's falling onto the capital. But if Ukraine's winning the war, or if there's a chance that Ukraine could win the war, I would like to look at some just very simple key points of data. All I want to know is how many rockets, bombs, or missiles have been fired at or hit or impacted Kiev, and how many on the other side have hit Moscow. Two capitals, two nations at war with one another, right next to each other. How much has Moscow been hit in this war? And I know that just because your capital's getting hit doesn't mean that you're going to lose the war. We know that London was being bombed incessantly during World War II, and the Germans ended up losing the war. So maybe World War III is the only way that something like this could turn around, given that World War II had to happen in order to reverse that. But we're funding this for God knows why, other than kickback and cover-ups. Despite the fact that the outcome is going to be the same, an outcome which we could have gotten for free. Zelensky losing. That, all in the context of Russia and Iran officially ditching the U.S. dollar for trade. I've been talking about this for a long time. All these conflicts over there between Israel and Ukraine and China and Iran, they're all about trade and the petrodollar and the war for economic dominance in the 21st century. And Iran being, I believe, the second largest exporter of oil in the Middle East outside of Saudi Arabia and frequently the victim of U.S. sanctions on money that's actually their money that we withhold from them that they can't use. Russia, obviously, also a victim of U.S. sanctions. This is, all these incentives have been set up by us. We have incentivized Russia and Iran to work out new trade deals, come together and ditch the dollar, which weakens our currency and sets us up for economic collapse, collapse down the road if this sort of behavior, these sorts of deals, continue to happen in snowball. Russia and Iran have finalized an agreement to trade in their local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar, Iran's state media has reported. Both countries are subject to U.S. sanctions. Banks and economic actors can now use infrastructure, including non-SWIFT interbank systems, to deal in local currencies, Iran's state media has declared. U.S. shale growth could exceed forecasts in 2024. Moscow has lately been cozying up to Tehran, with Iran revealing in November it will provide Russia with SU-35 fighter jets, MI-28 attack helicopters, and Yak-130 pilot training aircraft. So not only are they doing business outside of our currency because we've abused our power as the global reserve currency, but they're also <laughs> exchanging weapons of war. 
Heavily censored Pfizer documents show COVID began five-year mass depopulation agenda that will reach completion by 2025. Starting prediction, startling prediction about what will soon come upon the world in the form of genocide is backed by the infamous Pfizer documents, which outline the five-year plan starting in 2020 to massively depopulate the world by the year 2025. Let's watch clip seven. This is from 2022. We probably showed it last year because it's too amazing not to show. Comedian Heather McDonald fainting on stage after bragging about being vaccinated. Let's just see what Pfizer has in store with us. Let's see if there's actually a real-life example of what depopulation looks like. What are the early symptoms stages that we, sh we could expect? Go ahead and run the clip, please. I don't mean to brag. I don't care. But I want you to know, double-vaxxed, booster, flu shot, and I'm going to be honest, I have the shingle shot, too. And I still get my period. What? Yes! Traveled, went to Mexico twice, did shows, meet and greets, never got COVID. Clearly, Jesus loves me the most. Seriously. <laughs> so nice. So nice. Oh. Boom. Collapse. Total collapse. Apparently, she fractured her skull. She's laying there, obviously, on the brink of unconsciousness. Her left arm just sort of moving around aimlessly. Somebody comes on the stage to help her out. This is someone who was bragging about all of the pharmaceutical products that they've been injecting into their body on stage at the improv. I wonder if that was the improv in Orange County, California. Kind of looks like it. And then collapsing. And yeah, it could be coincidence. Maybe it was maybe she just didn't drink enough water that day or had low blood sugar, and maybe the the lights on the stage were overheating her. That's why she really collapsed. But I tell you what, I have actually fainted before on stage when I was in a play a long time ago. And what happens is you begin to realize that you're slipping into unconsciousness, typically. At least this was my experience. I knew that I was going to faint probably 45 seconds before it happened. I don't know what happened. I was just standing on stage. Maybe my legs were locked. I don't know why to this day it happened. I've never fainted before, never fainted since. I was just sort of B-roll. I was an extra on the scene. I was standing there. And I started to realize, I think I'm going to pass out. It's like the morning. I mean, no drugs or anything like that. So I walked off stage. I sat down and I told somebody, hey, I think I'm going to pass out. Next thing I know, I opened my eyes and I'm, laying on my back with a group of people looking down at me. Like, hey, are you okay? They, I slid out of the chair that I was sitting in. They gently rested me down. The point is to just collapse like that. Boom. I mean, it's like, it's like she broke her back or something. I mean, she instantly lost all motor function. This wasn't some like heat stroke thing. The lights were really hot. I was really thirsty. I was dehydrated. Blood sugar situation. This is not... Something that came on gradually that she saw coming, all of a sudden, instant, just boom. And I don't know what happened. I didn't look into it. I just think the video is incredible. I don't know if she had a heart attack. I don't know if she's got myocarditis or whatever. But the fact that she's pumping herself full of these pharmaceuticals and she's still having that outcome just goes to show how competent our pharmaceutical industry is. They're just great, aren't they? Just amazing.
I wonder why it is that they're so successful. Oh, yeah, they're publicly traded, and all of our politicians can invest in them. They get kickback, and you see all the money that comes from them into the political sphere. And you see that, what is it, like 70%, if not more, of all advertisement on major media networks is big pharmaceutical companies. So none of the news outlets want to actually report any of the truth about what's going on with these pharmaceutical companies because it's their customers. It's a conflict of interest. It's their clients. Whether it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC, what have you, big pharma's paying them out the wazoo, basically keeping the lights on. And so they won't report anything false about them. It's the same reason that you only hear negative stories about Tesla and these electronic vehicles and the self-driving cars. You hear disaster story after disaster story about any time something bad happens with Tesla. And it's because the major car manufacturers, the major American vehicle competitors to Tesla, all advertise on these news platforms. Tesla doesn't advertise there. And so what are they going to do? Just say how great Teslas are while they're customers? They're Tesla's competitor? You got to be able to open your eyes and see these conflicts of interest. You got to understand these incentives. People behave based off of emotion and then they rationalize later. That's a common marketing just mantra. People buy emotionally, they rationalize later. That's why you don't sell somebody something by telling them what all the features are or all the specs are. You don't sell somebody something by telling them all the boring details of the product. You sell them on the emotion of it. And they're gonna act, they'll rationalize it later. That's what our politicians do. They respond emotionally because of their greed and evilness, and then they rationalize it later to convince themselves that they're good and we're the evil ones. That's true, folks. More on the other side. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We are gonna be taking calls in the third hour coming up after this segment. So make sure you call on 877-789-2539. Again, that's 877-789-2539. The sooner you call, the more likely I am to get to you before the end of the show this morning. I'll cover a couple of Trump things real quick in this segment. Trump should be barred from blaming others for January 6th riot at trial, special counsel says. Donald Trump shouldn't be allowed to make irrelevant claims targeting President Joe Biden or say others are to blame for the January 6th Capitol riot during his federal election interference trial, special counsel Jack Smith wrote in a court filing on Wednesday. Now listen to this. He says, although the court can recognize these efforts for what they are and disregard them, the jury, if subjected to them, may not. So he's saying the jury might not be able to disregard the claims that Trump would make that... He's innocent, that this was someone else's fault. Continues, the court should not permit the defendant to turn the courtroom into a forum in which he propagates irrelevant disinformation and should reject his attempt to inject politics into the proceeding. As if this proceeding isn't inherently political. But what's interesting to me about this paragraph is he's talking about how the judge is going to understand that these are irrelevant, disregard them. But the jury, if, if the jury hears what Trump has to say, they might not be able to disregard it. They might actually take it to heart and believe it and side with him. Almost like, hey, if Trump's on the ballot, the voters might actually vote for him. So we got to get him off the ballot to ensure that he doesn't get elected. We have to make sure that Trump can't say certain things to defend himself in this case. Otherwise, the jury might find him innocent. It's the same stuff. So they're trying to censor him, and which is why I think it's beautiful that Don Jr. came out the other day and said that Alex Jones should be the press secretary because obviously Alex Jones is 
perhaps the most censored man on the internet, de definitely in the top 10 most censored people of all time that I've ever seen or heard of. Don Jr. floats Alex Jones for Trump press secretary. Former first son Donald Trump Jr. entertained the notion of InfoWars radio host Alex Jones assuming the role of former President Donald Trump's press secretary in his second term. Let's run this clip. This is clip number nine and see what Don Jr. had to say about potentially having Alex Jones as press secretary at least for a couple of weeks. That would be great. Alex Jones. That'd be a good... <laughs> Just, again... There, there's a couple people I want to put in as press secretary for like a month, two weeks to a month. Uh, you know, that, that'd be where, you know, uh, Laura Loomer would fit in for that one. Again, a Alex Jones for a month just to put these idiots in their place. Because I'll say this. Guess what? Over the, you know, I'm not saying he's got everything right. And this one will be controversial. And, you know, the, you know, the nonsense, like, you know, the clickbait, like fake news rags you know, raw story and like media matters and all, all these liars, you know, Oh my God, Donald Trump Jr. Said, this is what we got to do. Click here for nonsense. Uh, these guys will do that. But you know, Alex Jones for like a month, uh, would put these people in his place because again, uh, not saying he's got everything right, but man, he's been a lot more right, uh, over, over the last decade or so, uh, than anyone in our mainstream media. Uh, and I can say that with a fact, and I'll get criticized for it, but that's reality. Uh, he has been far more right than our mainstream media on the vast majority Amen. of things uh, that are out there. Um, so prepare for the clickbait hit pieces. I'll call it here now. They will do that, but like, you know, look at all the clowns that pushed Russia, Russia, Russia for years. Like, oh, they're credible journalists, guys. They get Pulitzer Prizes for the reporting on Russia. Ru you know, you mean so they reported on a lie? Turns out none of it was true, but they have a Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on a lie that turns out to be true. They don't remove the Pulitzer Prize. No, no, no. They did a great job. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They did the work of the regime, and they knew it. They all knew it, guys, because we all knew it. You didn't have to be an insider to know it was bullshit. But that's what we all have to wake up for. Um, yeah, Alex Jones' batting average is 10x better than CNN. Not even close. It's not even close. Uh, let's see. Don Jr., Alex Jones, 2028. Oh, boy. <laughs> hey, it would be fun. Uh, it would be fun. Uh, yeah, we, we have to put together a, a, a just We've gotta get Don Jr. one in studio. day. Uh, just like a day one team, uh, just, just to piss these people off. Just, it's funny. Like the amount of like earned media, they think it's a hit piece. You know, Don Jr. Jokingly said that Laura Loomer should be press secretary for a couple of weeks. Like, I'm not even joking. I'm actually serious. I'm not saying permanently, right? But like for a week, uh, we, we got to get the all-star roster. All right. The left you guys has the audacity in this one. Okay. To say that Don Jr. Was a cokehead. Remember that? They were, they were always talking about how he was on coke. He was a party animal. He was just sort of this trust front fund baby, this rich kid that was just partying and doing cocaine. Can you imagine sitting and listening to Hunter Biden for that period of time, that two minutes and 42 seconds, and sounding as coherent and reasonable and not dishonest as Don Jr. does right there? I mean, he was funny. He's relatable. Despite the fact that he is the son of a billionaire, and the son of a former president of the United States, hopefully to be president of the United States again in 2024, he is more relatable than Hunter Biden, 
who's just a poor senator's son. Just a humble senator's son. But Don Jr. is the one that has a drug problem. He's the one that's out of control. He's the one that's been the benefactor of this nepotism. Not Hunter. And then when you criticize Hunter, they say, well, Hunter's not the president. Hunter's not running for office. It's like, yeah, well, neither is Don Jr. But you don't hesitate to talk crap about him. It's, oh, well, he's part of the administration. You don't think Hunter Biden's part of the administration when he's given 10% kickback to his dad? You don't think Hunter Biden has administration influence and leverage when they're, he's negotiating millions upon millions of dollars of investments and deals with the CCP, various other interests all over the world while his dad's vice president, and then his dad's the president now and constantly trying to cover for him? House Republicans seek documents from the White House over Biden's involvement in Hunter Biden's refusal to comply with congressional subpoena. So are they conspiring together to be in contempt of Congress? They weren't so happy when Biden, excuse me, Bannon was allegedly in contempt of Congress, but when Hunter does it, it's fine. Comer and Jordan investigate whether President Biden sought to obstruct his son's cooperation with the House impeachment inquiry. Well, I would too if somebody was going to have to cooperate with law and they knew some dirt on me, they had some dirt on me. I tell you what, folks, we're going to know it's over for Joe Biden as soon as we hear that he is pardoning his son. As soon as we hear that Hunter Biden's pardoning, getting pardoned, that's when we know Joe Biden's out and the replacement is set. And I don't know who the replacement's going to be. We, we float Michelle, we float Kamala, we float Gavin Newsom. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe they haven't decided yet, but I'll tell you what. The communication that we've been getting from Kamala Harris on her social media has abruptly shifted. Suddenly she's featuring Doug more. Have you guys noticed that? She kept talking about Doug last week. I just kept responding. Who is Doug? Apparently it's her husband. I don't know why she's featuring him. Is she just like trying to say that she gets along with white people too? Like, the, here's the white guy that I married. See, I get on my knees for white guys too. Well, for me, I, I, I really think that she's trying to push this idea that she's some sort of like mother or wife or open-minded person or progressive. I, it seems like there's been a shift in her messaging and her brand that implies to me that she might actually be interviewing for the position of candidate. It might not be set yet. It might not be a given yet, but it seems to me that she is a contender. Still, it hasn't been decided yet. I think they know that it's not going to be Biden, and they're trying to figure out with their research and their polling and their demographics and all the analytics that they have, they're trying to figure out who the candidate needs to be, and they're all going to rally around that person. But the fact of the matter is, if Joe Biden pardons Hunter Biden and resigns as president of the United States before the election, that means that Kamala Harris will be the president of the United States, and that would be a major advantage as an incumbent, statistically speaking, historically speaking. And maybe he'll wait, and he'll just say, hey, I'm not running, but I'm going to finish my term. Maybe that's what he'll do. But she's in a very, very lucky position if she does have political ambitions because no one likes her, no one supports her, no one was going to vote for her. She was doing abysmally in all the polls during the primary, yet she is one lithium-ion battery away from being the president of the United States and perhaps one lithium-ion battery away from being the president, presidential candidate for the next four years. We're going to take your calls in the next segment. Make sure you call 877-789-2539. Again, that's 877-789-2539. In the meantime, visit InfoWarsStore.com. 
The game-changing New Year's specials from InfoWars, which are here, get up to 60% off plus free shipping and double Patriot points. The new year is upon us. It's time to reevaluate your approach to your supplement routine with these InfoWars essentials. Our powerhouse formulas are up to 60% off and savings don't stop there. Check it out at InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason we are still on the air. American Journal. Folks, I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We are going to be taking calls throughout this hour, 877-789-2539. Again, that's 877-789-2539. Right out of the gate, I want to hear from John in Miami. John, what is on your mind this morning? Oh, Mr. Chase. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Thank you hey. for the call. Oh, yeah, definitely. By the way, you're doing a great job. You know what? Tell Harrison he could... You know, we'll just retire. You know, let's, let's oh, no, no. Harrison's, the, Harrison's the greatest of all time. I appreciate nah, nah, the nah, nah, nah. You're, you're, you're his replacement. Anyway, yo, so what the hell is going on with this border stuff? Like, this is, like, I'm about to move to Texas. Like, I was looking at this, um, what was that yesterday? Like, the Texas, what is it, TMW? Where yeah. they're, they're stuck? Yeah, so Texas has yeah. recently passed legislation at a state level that would allow it to arrest illegal immigrants if found in Texas. Now, the federal government is coming out and attempting or threatening to sue Texas if it actually implements this policy, and it proves that the federal government is not just simply failing to protect our border, but it's actually behind Complicit. or supporting this invasion. Yeah. It wants these people to come over by the thousands, and it's... It could be a number of things. It could be because the intelligence community wants terrorists to come into this country so that a terrorist attack can happen, and they can use that as an excuse to get us involved in the Middle East again. It could be because our politicians are invested in all of the services and contractors that facilitate aid and attorneys and services and products to these migrants. But there's a number of different incentives that are basically – putting our politicians in a position where they want us to be invaded and they want to fund it with our tax dollars because there's some sort of kickback going on. All right. So, uh, I mean, look, uh, as, no, I hear, I agree with everything you just said, but as far as like to see that, like this, mm -hmm. I'm in Florida and I'm, I'm trying to get in touch with what is that space over here at DeSantis. I'm like, look, we should secede. Like, yeah. Like, is that what it's going to have to come to? Like, like that trailer, what, Civil War? Like, do we going to, is this country going to have to break apart again and be, like, separate? Wow. That's, that's like a great question. And, you know, I'm, secession is such an appealing idea and it's such a terrifying idea at the same time because the only way that it's ever going to happen is with violence. There's never going to be a friendly divorce, an amicable breakup between the states and the union. It's going to have to be... Hey, if you want me to be part of the union, you're going to have to force me. And whoever secedes is going to have to win in order to pull it off. That's, that's just, it's just as simple as that. And so ultimately, we should be fighting as hard as we can to avoid secession or calls for or pushes for secession because it's going to be violent and war is always a last resort. But the federal government seems to be cornering the states or the people of this country into a position where that violence is preferable to the subjugation. Now, we haven't gotten there yet. Things have to get so much worse than they are now for us to get to a point 
where some sort of a violent civil war happens again or secession. But we'll see what happens because just because so much more has to happen doesn't mean that it can't happen rapidly, right? So Alex Jones, after he got back on Twitter, on X, after InfoWars was reinstated, he reiterated the famous quote that there are decades that go by where nothing happens and there are weeks that go by when decades happen. There could be a series of unfortunate events over the course of the next 12 to 18 months that do catalyze some substantial organized rebellion violence in this, this country. I think that if Trump gets elected, you're going to see the left act violently. I think that if the election is stolen from Trump and a Biden or a leftist gets elected, you're going to see the right set up like they were for January 6th, and they're going to appear to be violent, even though they're not. They're going to be protesting, and they're going to be catalyzed and instigated and, and trapped. But you're going to see some sort of serious looting conflict happen, regardless of what the outcome of this election is in 2024. And if that happens in conjunction with economic collapse, more strain and suffering and pressure on the people, then that could be a concoction for civil war. More calls on the other side, folks. Stick with us. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We are going to be taking calls throughout the hour. Call in 877-789-2539. Good call from John in Miami in the last segment. Thanks, John, for calling in. BS Assassin in New York, what is on your mind this morning, man? It's always good to hear from you. Hey, what's up? Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I just want to say that this is, uh, if, if, if anyone studies history, it's just so easy to see that this is all just a continuation of the Zionist Nazi plan. They all moved to... Uh, Central America, and uh, I believe that uh, Texas, they have a lot of old money, a lot of evil bastards, but in it, they're, they're going to succeed to become a part of the, uh, the new the, the South American operation and uh, basically turn everything else into just to a living hellhole, which they're doing because by them shipping immigrants throughout this, I don't find that funny. When, when the border is right there, they blame everybody else for everything, and yet they strategically ship the undesirables, the different parts of the country. That's a military operation. So that's what they're doing. They're clearing out South America of all the people they don't want. They're going to have Texas a part of it, but they got all the old scumbag, corrupt oil guys who, who know oil replenishes itself, and it's all part of the plan. You know what I mean? And yeah. anyone that studies history can see it. It's, it's, as, it's so freaking obvious what they're doing and, and how we don't come together. Our whole government instituted a wartime propaganda act. They declared war upon the people. So they are all void. They, every one of them, they, they got to go. We should, we should, we got to, we got to take our freaking tax money back mm -hmm. and every sovereign nation, sovereign currency. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. Yep. Uh, it's so, it's so freaking obvious. You know what I mean? Yep. And it, it's just, it's just, it's just killing me because I know what's going on. I see exactly what's going on. I'm ready yeah. to fight. I'm ready to die. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? Whatever. What, I, they already got me from the trade center. You know what I mean? I got bumps all over me. I already, my, my brother's sick. My brother, I got so many people I know are sick and dying from the trade center. So they already, they already got us, right? Us, us New Yorkers, right? With you, those Texas people are scum, man. All these down, there's so many, the old Luciferians, not all of them, but a lot of them. And they have adapted the Zionist, uh, Kabbalist method. So they, they don't believe in, they believe Jesus Christ was a false idol, everybody, a lot of these people. Don't fall for their crap. They believe Jesus Christ was a false idol, and therefore if we're, if, that all the Christians that are worshiping, they believe we're worshiping a false idol, and they have the right to kill us and do whatever they want. That's what they believe. All these Southerners that are part of this secession, how does secession help, help a nation? Tell me that. How, 
coming together helps the nation. Secession destroys it, all right? So that's what they're doing. Any of these people talking about secession, they're scum. They're Luciferian scumbags. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the truth, everybody. These people that talk about seceding, they don't want to save this nation. They want to destroy it. And that's the truth, all right? So holding on to our values, holding on to our God-given rights, our Constitution, that's what saves this nation, coming together, not being divided, not shipping immigrants and laughing to this city, to that city. That's destroying it, Harrison. That's not funny. I you don't know, find it funny. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that secession. You you mentioned secession as as Luciferian because I mean the story of Lucifer is basically a story of secession. You know what I mean? Let me tell you something. The other day I had a I had a date. Two girls were walking. Two freaking older. You know, I don't have any problems with anybody. They were they were from you know South America or whatever. They were you know that descent. Yeah. There was two twelve year old girls walking. These guys. After a hard U-turn, right, I happened to be there, and they went to go pick them up. If I wasn't there, God knows what would have happened. I chased their asses all the way back to freaking, you know, I, I went nuts. I was spitting at their window to let them know that we don't play that over here. But that's, what, that's what's here now. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And if I wasn't there, they might have thrown them in the freaking car. All right? So I don't find it funny when people are laughing about shipping these people to different parts of our freaking country. All right? Everyone in Texas that's doing that should be, that's treason. That is freaking treason. You're supposed to deal with it. Just like the New Yorkers over here dealt with 9-11, and we're all dying from it. You know what I mean? Just like we did that to try to save people. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. Everyone's supposed to do their freaking job. And nobody wants to do their job. They want to laugh and be funny. and Because they're all part of this Nazi agenda, everybody. So everybody wake up. Wake the hell up. You know what I mean? Appreciate your call, BS Assassin. Thank you for sharing that insight. That was a very interesting perspective. And uh, I appreciate your passion behind it, too. Let's hear from Justin in Florida. Justin, what's on your mind? Yeah, hello. How, How are we doing How today? Are good. Thanks for calling. Uh, good. All right. I want to talk about Trump and how he's our only hope to, to stop the things that are going on. You know, within a day or so, he could stop this border crisis. The pure neglect of the U.S. government, like mm -hmm. you said, just getting kickbacks and whatnot from allowing this uh, invasion to take place. It's just, uh, it's enough. When, when do we call it quits? You know, when can the people's voice be heard to, that we want a safe and secure border? We have crises going on. We have two war fronts going on. And yet our border's wide open. Yep. And still nobody talks about it. You don't hear anybody talking about it. Uh, you know, that the fact that this, Border could be closed literally in a day. Yeah, well, we see we see the vast fluctuation between the border crisis among administrations. It's like, okay, it's fine under Bush, and then it's terrible under Obama, and then it's fine under Trump, and then it's terrible under Biden. The, the executive branch seems to have basically unilateral leverage over what our border policy is, which to me is just asinine, given the fact that it's like one of three of the purposes of our government one of the only three purposes of our government to protect our border so you're telling me that they they're going to fail to do that and they're going to try to do all this other crap that they're constantly trying to do whether it's support wars overseas or push these initiatives for green energy or whatever miscellaneous random research funding initiative project department they're trying to create constantly but they can't protect the border and it's just a matter of whether or not we elect a traitor or a patriot to the white house the president shouldn't have the power to screw up the border like this.
it's it's really a travesty. Justin, I appreciate your call. Thank you for calling in. Bart in Georgia. Bart, what is on your mind? You know, well, I'm sick and tired of them putting chemicals in the water that turn the freaking press secretaries gay. <laughs> I mean, I mean um, let, 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 let's get a real man in there, Alex Jones, that likes women and likes yeah. to have kids. There you go. I like to eat. I like to have children. I like it, Bart. Thanks for calling. Rob in Fort Worth. Rob, what is on your mind? Um, so I'm thinking, are you there? Yep, I'm listening. You're psychic. You ought to thinking know. That, um, more of the way that Civil War is going to start mm. um, is uh, they're going to let all these deaths from the vaccine um, gather up for the next uh, 10 months or so. Um, but they're going to charge Trump with Nuremberg, and they're not going to tell any uh, anybody on the media. And then they're going to use the national alert system to turn on our phones. It's going to be about a 45-minute trial on live television uh, through our phones without us being able to turn them off. And at the end of it, they're going to finish the uh, sentence. And uh, then they're going to announce the beginning of rounding us all up. Interesting perspective, Rob. We'll see if that plays Uh, out. Zero in Colorado. Zero, what's on your mind? Brother from another mother. Hey, man. Yeah, I go by zero, but this is Randy from Colorado. Thanks for calling. Um, you know, uh, this I, I agree with the, la- the the couple previous callers before. This mass invasion, this is treason. Yeah. It's, you know, when when a country is mass invaded invaded like that, that's an act of war. A government that fails to protect us or that allows that to happen, that's treason. You yeah. know, Our, these representatives that are supposed to represent these huge districts and stuff, they don't represent we the people. This whole system's broken. It's obsolete. It's a lie. You know, this was it was it might have been working when uh, we were in a time period where re- regular people had to ride a horse, you know, half a day to reach town. Well, the government didn't used to be this powerful. People have always been this corrupt, but the government has accrued power over centuries. So before corruption yep. didn't propagate and impact people so negatively like it does now, but now the government is so powerful that every ounce of corruption is a pound of suffering for the American people. That's right. And, we, you know, what do we do? How do we get out of this? Because, you know, we can point out the problems all day, but somebody's got to invent a solution. Somebody's got to come up with something to fix this. And I think it's already here. I think we have the technology where we can pull our, our whole community. Zero. We got to cut to break. We got to cut to a break, but I want to let you finish. Can you stay th- with us for the four minute break and uh, finish your thought on the other side? Yeah, I sure. Very good. Zero. One minutes more on the other side folks make sure you visit infowarsstore.com and we'll be taking your calls this hour welcome back to the american journal folks i am chase geyser your host this morning we came up on a break while zero in colorado was just about to make a point and i wanted to let him finish his thought zero can you catch everybody up for the listeners that are just tuning in now can you go ahead and take it from here and go ahead and make your point yeah i just well, I was saying about a representative system, the idea of one representative can represent a whole community, but he's never met us. He doesn't ask us our opinions. He doesn't know our family values, and he goes, somehow is going to represent us as obsolete. Um, we, got, we need a better system. If we're going to use this, we've got to be able to educate these representatives on what we actually want and what, what we want to see them do, right? So maybe we should have some kind of a system where we can go to City Hall or go to the public library and log into like an intranet with protected by blockchain or something like that with our social security number, and we can actually fill out a survey. 
know, we can make it a national holiday or something. We can actually keep a tally on all the current events, the issues that our representatives can actually represent. These, these people represent big pharma. They're, they're bought, they're bribed, they're blackmailed. The system is broken. It's a lie. It's, it's obsolete. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point because we certainly have a political dynamic where our representatives are completely out of touch with the wants of their constituents. They just don't care or they, they don't get it. But the problem I have with the approach that you suggested, though I respect your position and I also respect the fact that you identified a serious problem. The problem I have with your position is that the people are really, really dumb. And I don't want the people making decisions or telling our politicians how to vote on every single independent issue. I mean, that's, that's what a straight up democracy is. And that's not been sustainable historically speaking, because the mob always violates the rights of the minority and the mob makes stupid or foolish or fearful decisions. And so what I'm thinking is the problem isn't that our, our representatives don't know or understand the interests of their constituents. In my opinion, the problem is that the interests of the constituents are a conflict of interest with the interests of the politicians, the representatives. So what's good for their constituents is not actually good for their bottom line most of the time. If they're going to make kickback on government spending or whatever policies, or if they have special interests that are lobbying for them or influencing their campaigns and their policies because of the campaign finance that they depend on. So in my opinion, the problem isn't that our representatives don't understand or know what's good for their constituents. The problem is that what's good for the politicians is bad for the people and vice versa. And so we have this political class and this American class divide where we have this corrupt elite that just spirals itself into greater and greater amounts of corruption and power at the expense of an ever-increasing amount of suffering for the American people. So... If we want to fix this issue, we have to make the incentives of the representatives somehow line up with the incentives of the people. And we see this manifest, this issue manifest in our judicial system as well, because prosecutors have a tremendous incentive to win as many cases as possible, prosecute as many cases as possible. The better they do, they can get promotions, they move up, they can have all sorts of opportunity by just prosecuting, 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 winning, prosecuting, winning. Gives them all sorts of incentives to lie about evidence, to just hammer down, to make stuff up, to just get really, really good at putting innocent people in prison. Whereas the public defenders that we have in our judicial system have basically no incentive to win cases for their clients, as I understand it. So you got a public defender, they're paid for by the people to represent these clients who are often very poor and perhaps potentially often guilty, right? And so there's no real incentive for these public defenders to go the extra mile, actually practice good law, good defense for these clients because they don't see another dime. Whereas if you're a private sort of white-collar criminal defense attorney, the cases you win lead to bigger and better cases. You can make millions upon millions of dollars, but if you're a public defender, what incentive do you have? So the issue isn't that the public defenders are incompetent, it's that they have no incentive to win. And all the incentive for these cases falls upon these prosecutors who become ever increasingly ambitious and they just prosecute the hell out of innocent people and withhold evidence and lie and make stuff up and do press conferences and press releases. And so if we wanted to fix that sort of a problem, for example, 
what we'd want to do is offer some sort of bonus structure. So, hey, if you're a public defender and you win a case, you get five grand or whatever the number is so that these defenders actually have an incentive to fight hard for their clients who can't pay them. And what you're going to see there is if you marry that reward for a successful public defense with a punishment for a failed prosecution for the prosecutor. So, hey, if you prosecute and you lose, your pay is docked, you know, half a percent every time that happens or 1%, something, you know, tenable that they can still work and, you know, make an income, but that they really do not want to prosecute a case unless it is in the bag. That way that would avoid putting innocent people away in prison. Prosecutors would only pick the best cases. It would increase the efficiency of our judicial system so that cases could be tried more quickly because we have a right to a fair and speedy trial. And if you're too poor for a lawyer, your lawyer actually has an incentive to win the case despite the fact that you can't pay them. So the issue is about incentives and motives and getting the interests of our leaders or the people in our government to align with the interests of the people. Right now, they're a conflict. And so that's what creates division and civil war and lies and deceit and censorship and corruption. But when we, when we can get those interests aligned, it's just like in business. When the incentives align and it makes sense to do a deal, it's a 360 win, like going to InfoWarsStore.com and buying our products, you get great products, plus it keeps us on the air, Right. When there's incentives nope. that align, then you can solve these problems. So I appreciate that you have identified this problem. And though I disagree with the solution that you suggested, I do respect it. I just think we need to focus yep. more on aligning the interests than we do on necessarily aligning the communication or understanding from the representatives. Because they know, they know what the people need and want. They know. They know. Yeah. But the problem, too, that you pointed out is that the general population, our education system has failed us. Yeah. You know, it's like we need debate. We need discourse again. We need to talk to our neighbors. We need to have Thanksgiving. They try to cancel these things because yeah. they don't want us talking to one another. You know, right. this is this is the problem. We got to talk. That's right. Our people right. need to debate the dumb, these dumb, you know, dumb people. You know, it's like this is how we bring the, the, the knowledge of people up, you know, and we're not, you know, I have faith in the people. Yeah. I, I believe that Joe Biden didn't win the election. Most people know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. And we, we keep letting these dummies get the mic. You know, and good people step back and they just want to love their families, eat good food and be left alone. But I have still have faith that the majority of our people are, are decent folks. You know, we just need yeah. to start talking one, once again. I really appreciate your call, Zero. Thank you for calling in. We are going to come up on another break, folks. I will be taking calls for the rest of the hour. So stick with us. In the meantime, visit InfoWarsStore.com because game-changing New Year's specials from InfoWars are here. Get up to 60% off plus free shipping and double Patriot points. The new year is upon us. It's time to reevaluate your approach to your supplement routine with these InfoWars essentials. Our powerhouse formulas are up to 60% off, and the savings don't stop there. We're giving you free shipping storewide and double Patriot points on all purchases. That's all purchases, folks. Shop now to get massive savings on all of these incredible products, from 40% off for Winter Sun Plus to 60% off Brain Force Plus and Brainforce Ultra, all sorts of deals in between. Take advantage of the huge sale today and get the InfoWars Life New Year's special to save up to 60% off. You can start your year with a bang today at InfoWarsStore.com. It is Friday. It is payday. Go ahead and spend a little on an investment in yourself, your health, and keep us on the air at InfoWarsStore.com. More calls on the other side. Welcome 
Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. We are going to be taking calls throughout this segment before the great Alex Jones hosts the Alex Jones Show at 11 a.m. Central Time. That's noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific. Let's take some calls now. Let's hear from... Who do I want to talk to? Let's hear from Corn Pop in Maine. Corn Pop, what up? Hey, how's it going, bud? Good. How are you doing? Is now a good time? No, it's a great time, man. Perfect timing. Awesome. What's up? Hey, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what was going on here in Maine with our stupid Secretary of State thinking that she could act like Hitler. Yeah. And just decide what we who we can and can't vote for. Right. I um I shared a cool picture with you on um on the uh, uh X I guess I tagged you in it. It's a pretty cool picture. I'm actually gonna take that picture and um as soon as I get off work I'm gonna go to the state house because I live right beside it and I'm gonna go hand it out to everybody. If you want to pull it up, it's pretty funny. It's, yeah, um, check it out. It's our it's our Secretary of State dressed up as Hitler. So yeah. I'm gonna go walk around. I'm gonna hand that out in the um the state house, but. She's wearing One some Hugo Boss, know, huh? Oh, yeah, man. I got I, I kind of got my style from Owen. You know, I'm kind of ballsy. You can say I do a lot of things like that. But yeah. um, one thing, I, one thing I will say, I know protesting does not solve anything. But, guys, it is time for us to start getting out in the streets. It is time that the silent majority is no longer silent anymore, guys. What is it going to take? I, I just, I really do not understand. So, um, Sunday at 1 o'clock, at the Augusta Armory, I will be standing there doing a flag wave. Um, everyone knows I do that all the time. I encourage everybody to come out this Sunday because what we're going to do is we're going to try to organize a protest during the week at the State House, inside the State House, to let these main representatives know what they're doing is not okay. I mean, think about it, people. If they, if they were so, if they weren't worried about this guy, why are they taking him off the ballot? If he yep. is not fighting for you, why are they taking him off the ballot? They're not doing this to Ron DeSantis. Oh, Bob, what's your Twitter handle? To, uh, my Twitter handle is PWA1776. I don't really use it that much. I use True Social and Rumble. That's where I, I, I do all my uh, stuff at. My um, website is PWA1776.info. Um, that's a group that I run out here in Maine. We're called Patriots for Attitude. I'm also part of another group that's nationwide. It's called Born to Ride for 45. We're a riding club. I encourage everybody to get involved in your local. You know, just it's time that this, I, I can't stress this enough, guys. The silent majority can no longer be silent. It is the time for being a Facebook patriot and complaining on Facebook is over. That is not changing anything. Yeah. It's time we start getting involved. Yep. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for your call, Corn Pop. I appreciate that. Let's take another call while we still have time with the remainder of the show. Let's hear from Digital Dave in FEMA Region 5. Good morning. God bless you, Chase. Good morning. Thanks God bless you. Thanks for taking you. my call, man. I want to touch on a couple of quick things here right after I say a prayer for all the listeners of Owen, Alex, uh, you and Harrison and the staff. Uh, each one of us need to see the actual truth in our lives and then act on it you don't have to be ballsy to do this but you do have to get out like the prior like corn pop said mm -hmm. let me tell you something as a digital native okay um to jazz musician parents who had the only integrated band 
in the nation, I believe. I saw the signs that said whites only in Florida and yeah. South Carolina and North Carolina beaches, okay? I traveled to Washington State and California in my youth. I went to over six fourth grades, okay? Hundreds of elementary schools, man, probably. I lost count. Here's the deal. My parents as jazz musicians would also, and this integrated combo, would get gigs to play private parties. Right. And these people who had this bread, long, long bread, would tell them, hey, Richie, you know, when it all goes down, we want you to come with us. You know what I'm saying? Well, what they're talking about is the, where we're living right now. This has been in, in over 100 years. This has been going on. And these elites are all set up, and they're ready to go. They're ready to, they're ready to take us out. They yeah, really I mean, you got do want building 500. a bunker with a blast-proof oh, door yeah. in Hawaii. 500, I know. Yeah, five hundred million. That's their goal. Let me just rush through this a little bit because I got a few things to talk to. I wasn't always safe. I'm safe now. I got ordained. So big deal. That means nothing. Alex has paved the way for so many believers when God worked in him. Owen, Harrison, you. Uh, Chase, all the staff, both the robs, everyone, okay, who listens, who knows Jesus and knows the truth, has to know that without the power of the Holy Spirit, this thing doesn't move. And the power of the Holy Spirit to tap on to the last call, we need to be in the public square talking about it. Next time you're in a grocery store, mention the price of something, and I guarantee you, you'll get a little tickle in your ear from the good Lord that'll tell you. Here's how this can go. It'll always take you down the path that goes right back to the frauds in D.C. Mm -hmm. and what they're trying to do and how the yeah. borders are open every single time. Look, Ananias, not the one who cheated on on his uh, gift, but Ananias in in Acts, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny how Scripture works out. Acts 9-11 told Ananias to go to the house of Judah. Uh, on a street called Straight for a man uh, named Saul of Tarsus for uh, he, he's going to change things. Now, it, Paul actually changed everything. He was killing Christians one day, got right. knocked off his horse or a cart, um, heard rushing waters, heard the voice of God, sure. got blinded, and repented. got healed. Yeah, totally converted. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's it. The miracles are working in everyone's lives. Alex Jones is a living miracle, okay? All the staff on the show are living miracles. Every believer and non-believer today has the potential to get out and save this nation. We, we can do it when we, when we set our minds to it. And I just want to share just really briefly a few scriptures that lay stuff out for me uh, in a big way. Galatians 3.11, no one is justified before God by the law, for the just shall live by faith. Galatians 5.1 probably one of the most important ones. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of bondage. Jesus was not a pussy. He's right. still not a pussy. Right. The Holy Ghost is not a puss, okay? Right. Right. The Jesus came, man. Hey, I appreciate your call. I do want to get to one more call before the end of the show today, but I, I do appreciate your point there. That, that's a very well-received point. Do not submit to the yoke of bondage. I appreciate that. Let's hear from Jen in Georgia as the final call of the hour before the Alex Jones show begins. Jen, are you there? Yeah, how are you? I am. I, I'm doing good. How are you doing? 
Good. So I was going to mention, um, it's something that I haven't really heard anybody's perspective on, uh, but if you watch the Civil War trailer, like about 20 se 29 seconds into it, one thing that caught my attention very strongly, and I just keep lingering back to the side of it, is that there is an American flag waving in the wind that has only two stars on it. Yes, because I think and uh, Texas I and California are, are, are the states that secede in the movie. Uh, okay, so was it was there like an uh, I mean, it was already a subtle interpretation on what that was like representing. Yeah, he, he gives this, the president gives the speech and he says um, the uh, so-called Western forces of Texas and California, and the implication is that they seceded together and made their made like a new country. And I think that's why the two stars. Okay, because see, I'm over here thinking like that means either uh, the elite against the people, or mm -hmm. all of the. I mean, it, I mean, if you want to apply it to what's happening now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's so important to look at those small details because the small details often have the largest message. I'm very anxious to see this movie, not necessarily as a fan, but just to observe sort of the propaganda of the enemy. I think it's going to be loaded with all sorts of symbolism and metaphor. We already know from the trailer that we have this journalist who's the protagonist. So they're already setting up the sort of mainstream media as the good guys. We have this sort of right-wing vibing president who is bombing civilians because he, he's Ron Swanson. Everybody thinks of him as a right-winger. Even if his character is a Democrat, everybody's just going to sort of emotionally respond to him as a right-winger. And then we have this radical, seemingly right-wing extremist with the bleached hair as this insurrectionist or secessionist or rebel or whatever who seems basically like a maniacal terrorist. I mean, you remember the character that that actor played in Breaking Bad. This was somebody without a conscience. So there's going to be all sorts of slinging blame and implications that those who love freedom, those who love guns, those who believe in states' rights are these terrorists and that the um, establishment version of them is this Ron Swanson civilian killing sort of domestic terrorist. All of this that we see from these globalists, from, from these institutions. It's just to shame us into hating ourselves so that we subjugate ourselves to them. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. InfoWars.com forward slash go. Please listen to me very carefully. If you don't have enough vitamin D3 in your body, which particularly happens in the winter months because sun and your skin produce vitamin D3 naturally. If you don't have enough vitamin D in your body, you will get viral infections and the viruses will replicate in your body. That's the number one cause of viral infection and viral replication and illness. Vitamin D3 is so incredibly important. We have the highest quality organic vitamin D3 back in stock, winter sun for 40% off with free shipping and double Patriot points for the new year. So this 2024, do the right thing. Protect yourself, protect your family. Get Winter Sun at InfoWarsStore.com and then more importantly, take it. It's the highest quality. Winter Sun, 40% off, free shipping, double Patriot points, InfoWarsStore.com. But whatever you do, get vitamin D3 organic and take it. Vitamin D3 is beyond critical. Get yours at InfoWarsStore.com today.